Well, good morning. I am uh, so thankful for the three guys that were here to lead us in worship this morning. Uh, Caleb intentionally gave some of our regular worship team off. It's a holiday. I gave them the freedom to maybe be away if they needed to be. And uh, thanks for the guys that were here to lead us in worship. And I said this in first service. It's always amazing to me how the song selection which most of the time Levi and I have very little to do with, uh, actually really, really ties in well with the direction of the message. I think it's just the way God works things out. But uh, we sang a song that, that talked again about the immense love of God and about how he continues to pursue us, even at times when we aren't pursuing him. And, and, and when we get found, when we receive that, that love and grace that he has to offer us, uh, it stirs our hearts, it changes our hearts, it realigns our, our priorities and our pursuits perspectives. And uh, uh, I, I hope that as we, uh, we have God's word unfolded this morning, that some of that will make some sense as, uh, as we, uh, we go through the morning here. Hey, there is absolutely no more American holiday than the 4th of July. On July 4th, we commemorate the passage of the Declaration of Independence, which took place, as you know from history, in 1776. Today, Americans across the United States will celebrate Independence Day in a variety of different ways. There are people who will go to parades. Uh, other people will do picnics or family gatherings, barbecues. Some will go to concerts and to baseball games. And uh, some will watch fireworks. Many of you might even watch the fireworks here in Napoleon uh, this evening. And while our country is not perfect, it's not. It has done, collectively, a lot of good over the past 245 years. In the United States, we enjoy a level of freedom, of security, of physical comfort and privilege that many people in other parts of the world would not even dream to dare to, to enjoy. In many ways, you and I as Americans take for granted all that we have here in America, and we are incredibly, incredibly blessed. Again, America is far from perfect because America is made up of human beings that have a sin nature. And it's not only America that's affected by a sin nature. Every country in the world is made up of people who struggle with their sin. And that is all the more reason why those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ should do everything we can to take advantage of our citizenship here in America. We should work, in fact, to make this country the best possible place for people to live, starting in our own communities. Our leadership team here at Crossroads actually prays on a pretty regular basis that Crossroads Church would be a group of people who make a significant impact in Henry County. So much so that if Crossroads ceased to exist somehow overnight, the community would actually miss us. They would notice that we're gone. So as we begin this morning, let me take the opportunity to challenge you on this 4th of July to consider how God might help you as an individual and us collectively as a church do a better job of serving our community. 
What ways can we as individuals and as a church make Henry County a better place for people to live? In what ways can we use the gifts and the abilities that God has given us to serve other people, to volunteer in our community? It'd be helpful for us at times to ask, are there attitudes in our hearts that need to be changed? Do we have a neighbor that needs to be encouraged or supported along the way? I am so thankful that there are many, many people in this church family who regularly serve in the community and serve their neighbors. Keep it up. This fall, actually, we are going to begin to talk about how we can actually, as a church, shift into a higher gear of serving and making an impact in our community. And part of the reason we're going to do that is, is the fact that even last week, Levi reminded us that the power of the kingdom of God actually flows through the citizens of the kingdom of God. It flows through you and me. And while I really do value my citizenship as an American, to a much larger degree, I value my citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. You know, we don't really think or talk about this much, but the United States of America will one day cease to exist. It will come to an end, either before the Lord comes back or, or when he comes back. But the kingdom of God will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. So during this kingdom series, we have looked at a lot of different aspects. And when we talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, those phrases are used interchangeably. We're talking about God's reign through God's people over God's place. And during this past uh, few weeks, we've looked at a number of different aspects that are connected to the kingdom of God. The Bible teaches us that in many ways, we are already experiencing the kingdom of God. There are aspects of living in the kingdom of God that we have already begun to experience when we entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet the Bible also teaches that there will be a day when Jesus Christ will physically return to this earth and usher in his eternal kingdom. That has not yet happened, but it will someday. So that means the kingdom, the kingdom of God involves the now and the not yet. This morning, we're going to actually look at two places in the Bible where Jesus teaches a very simple but an incredibly important truth about receiving the kingdom of God. If you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Matthew chapter 18. If you'd like, there are Bibles in the front and it'll be on the screen. You can swipe from a device as well if you'd like. Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And before we do, I want to uh, step back a little bit and take, uh, we're going to take two, two snapshots or look at two different snapshots of interactions that Jesus had with his disciples. And we're not going to look at a lot of background information beforehand, but by the time this snapshot that we're going to look at in Matthew 18 took place, Jesus has been with his disciples at least two, two years, probably more likely to closer to three years. His disciples have seen him do amazing, amazing miracles. 
They've heard his incredible teaching. In Matthew 17, we read where uh, Peter, James, and John are included in uh, an event on, on a mountain where Jesus Christ is transfigured right before them. In Matthew 17, it says that Jesus' face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Moses and Elijah showed up, and the voice of God audibly said, so that Peter, James, and John heard this. God said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. I can't even imagine what it would have been like for those three disciples to experience that. And a short time later, the disciples are asking about and even arguing with one another about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Take a look at the response that Jesus gives in Matthew 18. I think it was a little different than what they had expected. Verse 18, Jesus says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Church, the verse that Jesus, the statement that Jesus makes in verse 3 should get our undivided attention. It's as if Jesus is a little bit reaching out and kind of trying to grab his disciples by the shirt collar a little bit. Take another look. Jesus says, truly I tell you, unless, if you have a Bible, you might want to circle or underline the word unless. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, something is required for admittance into the kingdom of heaven. You and I understand the concept of something being required in order to, to have or gain admittance. There are all kinds of clubs and organizations that some of you are even a part of. Some clubs and organizations will allow just about anybody to participate if they just show up, while others are incredibly, incredibly exclusive. They might even involve an invitation or an interview. Most of the exclusive clubs and organizations have a very high membership fee as well. And getting into some organizations is more about what you know, and some organizations it's more about who you know. The point is this, though. Jesus wanted his disciples to know that there were qualities that a child possesses that were required to gain admittance into the kingdom of God. Up to this point, the disciples' understanding of being spiritually right by, with God was based on and shaped by a religious culture that focused on the external. It focused on things like keeping the law, being a good person, 
being a religious person. The disciples' basis for relationship with God was built almost exclusively on following the law as it was interpreted by the priests and the rabbis. Even when they messed up, they were to follow specific specific rituals and the sacrificial law. For them, being good certainly Uh, being the greatest in the kingdom, had to involve something they had achieved or some special knowledge that they had acquired. It had to involve something that they brought to the table. You know, in many ways, the disciples were actually self-righteous people like the religious leaders of the day. They thought a right standing before God was somehow based on their merit. Without knowing it, They had become filled with pride. Clearly, for some of these disciples, the thought that they were undeserving of the kingdom of God was not even on their radar. They were much more concerned with which of them would be the greatest in the kingdom. So Jesus, concerned about where their hearts were, uses a child, a little child, to illustrate an important kingdom principle that we do not want to miss this morning. He says, truly, I tell you. And when Jesus says truly, he's emphasizing what he's about to say. If he were to say it today, he might say, hey, fellas, listen up. What I'm about to tell you is so important, I don't want you to miss this. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is challenging their understanding of the kingdom and how you get in. Look closely. Jesus does not call them to become little children. He calls them to become like little children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Church, please don't miss this truth. Jesus is pointing out that there is a quality that little children possess necessary for receiving the kingdom of God. There is a quality that little children possess necessary for receiving the kingdom of God. Now hold on to that truth and turn to the book of Luke chapter 18. You can swipe there. It will be on the screen. It's always great to have your Bible in front of you so you can highlight and underline. We're going to take a look at yet another snapshot in the life of Jesus. And what we're going to see is that Jesus is going to teach the very same principle, but in a different setting. Follow along as I read, and then we'll dig in a little deeper to discover the truth that Jesus is sharing. Again, the point Jesus is making is so important because it involves entrance, receiving entrance into the kingdom. Luke 18, we find Jesus like we typically do. He's teaching perhaps a large crowd of people. And in Luke 18, verse 15, it says, people were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God 
belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. In verse 17 of chapter 18 of Luke, we see almost the very same words that Jesus spoke to his disciples recorded in Matthew 18, verse 3. Anyone who receives entrance into the kingdom of God must do so like a little child. Church, for me, these words of these two snapshots bring to mind, in my mind, what is a horrific, horrific scene that we can read about in Genesis chapter 7, when the Lord himself actually shut the door of the ark just before the floods. Noah and his family had listened and obeyed and they had uh, gotten on the ark. Others were invited and they refused to board the ark and they were destroyed by the flood. They missed out on the grace that God was offering them. In a similar way, Jesus is warning that becoming citizens of the kingdom does involve a choice. We must become like little children. Many of you have children or have grandchildren or been around little children and realize that most of the time when there's a teaching and a learning relationship between a child and an adult, it's usually the adult teaching the child. It's interesting that Jesus is actually telling adults that they have much to learn from a little child. In fact, from a baby. He's talking about infants, the youngest of children. Jesus says clearly, I want, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must do so like a little baby. So what is he trying to teach the disciples and what does he want us to learn? First of all, it's important for us to understand that children in the ancient world had a different social position than they do today. Now, I'm not at all going to suggest that children back then were not loved or, or valued by their parents, but they as individuals had very, very little status. Even Jesus in the, the text from Matthew uh, we, we read, he talks about their low position, especially young children. If you look again at the text in Luke 18, it says people were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place their, his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. Now, first of all, I can't even imagine being in the presence of Jesus and somebody rebuking him. That's where their heads and their hearts were at that time. But it wasn't uncommon for someone to bring a child to a rabbi or to a teacher to have them bless them, to put their hands on them. This isn't a lot different than when parents today will bring a child for uh, baptism or, or to be dedicated. Why were the disciples upset and even rebuking these well-meaning parents? Because in their culture, children were somewhat insignificant. And again, I know this is really difficult for us to, to wrap our minds around and understand, but children of that day had a very low status in society. 
They were to be seen but not heard. In many respects, they were actually legally considered property. Until a child could work and help provide for the family, they were considered more of a burden than an asset. And I want you to notice that that Jesus does not respond to these children in the way that others in society were responding, in the way the disciples were responding. Take a look at this. Instead, Jesus actually calls for little children to be brought to him. Isn't that beautiful? Here is yet another example of many examples in Scripture where Jesus moves towards, Jesus draws towards himself the kind of people that the rest of society would cast aside or marginalize. In another gospel account, it says that Jesus was actually indignant. He was angry when the disciples were trying to keep the children from him. So children today are given much, much higher status than they were back in the ancient time, but they are just as needy as ever. Lynn is not here this morning in this service. She is uh, in the nursery. But many of you are aware that Lynn and I are soon going to be first-time grandparents, and we could not be any more excited. Our daughter and her son-in-law are expecting the arrival of their first child, which will be a little girl, this coming Friday. They've got an appointment for Carly to be induced. And and, and now our, our yet unborn granddaughter is already loved and valued and cherished. But in practical terms, in practical terms, our granddaughter is going to be a consumer for a long time before she's ever a contributor. In our family, she will be born with a very, very high status, but she will offer her parents very little practical assistance for many, many years. As a newborn infant, she will enter this world 100% helpless and dependent. She will be helpless and dependent and require assistance just to survive. No child has ever or will ever survive the first several years of life without the assistance of other people. Little children today, as they were back in the ancient times, are vulnerable and they're needy. My granddaughter will be unable to protect herself, feed herself, educate herself. She won't even be able to bathe herself or dress herself for a number of years. And it will be actually many, many years before she will be capable of earning an income to actually provide for her well-being. That makes her basically a freeloader. Let's be honest, for the most part, she will not bring much to the table except smelly pants and a messy face. Now, I don't want you to feel bad for my my granddaughter. She's not defective in any way. All babies, all babies are helpless, dependent, unproductive, 
and desperately, desperately needy when they come to this earth. It's not that an infant wouldn't enjoy helping mom or dad. They're just simply not even capable of doing it. They are incapable of providing any practical assistance to the needs of others. That's just the way it is. Now, friends, what does this have to do, if anything, to what Jesus is trying to teach? I'm hoping that some of you have already figured out that it has everything to do with the truth that Jesus is trying to impart to the disciples, and it's recorded for our benefit as well. Jesus has in mind here the undeniable and obvious fact that every child who has ever lived regardless of their race or their gender or their culture or their background, enters the world with flailing arms and legs, naked as a jaybird, totally, totally helpless. You and I entered the world that way. And shortly after we got here, we messed ourselves. And we didn't volunteer at all to help clean that mess up. And in fact, we were not even capable of cleaning that mess up. And beyond that, we didn't even feel bad about making that mess. Church, Jesus uses the helpless dependency of a baby to illustrate clearly our relationship with God. Friends, do not miss this truth. Citizens of the kingdom must acknowledge that we have nothing of value to offer God. We must rely completely on God's mercy and grace for our salvation and for our forgiveness. Only by accepting and admitting that we cannot be a part of the kingdom of God We've got to accept that in order to be part of the kingdom of God. Like a child who has nothing of practical value to offer their parents for their care they receive, you and I must come to God acknowledging that our hands are totally empty, like those of a beggar. Jesus wanted his disciples and the world to know that he was not talking about achieving the kingdom of God, He was talking about receiving the kingdom of God. And God's grace is a gift to be received, not a reward for our achievement. Many of you are familiar with uh, Isaiah 64, 6, but it tells us that all our righteous acts, anything good, anything religious that we can bring to the table are like filthy rags. Our God is so holy and so righteous and so perfect that even the best things that we do, the most religious or the best things that we have to offer him are considered worthless in comparison. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
Friends, this is the truth that Jesus wants his followers, including you and I, to understand. We can't ever earn or deserve a right relationship with God. But like a child, we can express simple faith enough to trust and to receive it. When we simply trust that Jesus Christ paid the entire penalty for our sin on the cross, we become like a small little child. Like a child wearing a wet diaper who stands up in the crib with a smile on our face, holding our hands up to the parent that comes in to clean us up and get us going again. And some of you parents are changing diapers right now. You're in that stage of life. Uh, I would just encourage you, the next time your elbow's into a messy diaper, to think of the spiritual illustration that is and how God offers to clean us up uh, when we make a mess as well, even when we can't do anything to help. The truth that like a helpless child, we can do nothing about our lost spiritual condition is such an important truth for us to grab onto and to understand. Today and in the past, there are many, many religions that talk about grace and salvation by grace, but many of them literally add grace plus works or grace plus religious activity. And anytime you add anything to the grace that Jesus Christ makes available through the cross, it is no longer grace. Salvation or forgiveness then becomes some sort of a reward because we did something to earn it. Again, that's why I think Jesus so intentionally chose a helpless, dependent, needy baby to to illustrate that entrance into the kingdom of God is always and always will be 100% about grace received in faith. As we close this morning, I want to speak to two different groups of people that that might be here this morning. First, I want to say a quick word to you. If you are here and you have thought about receiving God's gift of grace, you've thought about uh, what it might be like to to enter into a relationship with with God, uh, you would desire that, but there's something in your life Uh, a specific sin or experience in life that would cause you to feel undeserving. Or maybe it's just the the accumulation of sin in your life. You can believe that Jesus could forgive somebody else, but you've not yet been able to trust and to believe that he would forgive you because you believe that, that you just have done too much wrong. I want to encourage you today to reconsider and choose to express simple trust that your spiritual diaper is no more offensive to God than anyone else's. In your own words, I would invite you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. If you do, it will be the best decision that you ever made. He will totally, 100% forgive the sin in your past, present, and your future, He will give you a brand new beginning. You don't deserve it, of course, but neither does anybody else. Like a child grabbing onto a bottle, simply receive it and begin to walk with God. 
Over time, he'll begin to change you from the inside out and provide joy and peace and perspective that you'll never receive anywhere else in this world. If that's you and you have questions about that or would like to talk with somebody about what that that process looks like, uh, I would love to, to meet and talk with you. I know Pastor Levi would as well. Others here at Crossroads, we would hook you up with anybody to, to think that through. That's, that's my encouragement to, to those folks in group number one. The second group of people that I want to challenge this morning a little bit is probably a larger group, and uh, it's a group that I, I can relate with myself. So as I challenge you, if you're in this group, I'm, I'm challenging myself as well. But there are a good number of us who have been walking with Jesus for a, a while now. For some of us, it's been a, a long time. And when you've been a Christian or a follower of Jesus long enough, uh, there are ways where you can begin to kind of look like you have it all together on the outside. You, you can kind of look like you're, you're really better than you are. And once you get good at convincing other people that you're, you're better than, than what you look, uh, you begin to, to convince yourself of that as well. And I'll make this quick, but... I want to share just a really small amount of my background. Uh, I, I have been incredibly, incredibly blessed to have been born into a family that, uh, that knew Jesus in a personal way, that made a commitment to bringing myself and my siblings to church. Probably about 50 out of 52 weeks on a Sunday, we were, we were in church worshiping. Uh, I had the privilege of coming to faith in Jesus as an, as, at an early age and then growing uh, as a young person and even into to high school. And uh, I would say that um, uh, I did the best that I could to kind of stay out of trouble and, and do the things that I thought I needed to do to be a, a good person. And I won't bore you with all the details, but uh, I can say this, uh, and I'm not proud to say this, but by the time I was finishing my senior year in, uh, in college, there was a season in my life where, where I can honestly say, and again, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I can honestly say there was a season in my life where I kind of felt like I had deserved what Jesus had done for me. It's kind of emotional even to admit that, that I was that prideful and that arrogant. I remember um, a day in college kind of ritualistically reading my Bible and thinking about the crucifixion where... Uh, something along this line literally came to my mind. I thought, you know, I know what Jesus went through was pretty difficult and pretty hard, but I'm a pretty good person, and there's got to be a lot of pretty good people in the world and throughout history. I got to the place where I kind of wondered, what, what was the real big deal of that? That, that seemed worth it to me. And uh, again, folks, it wasn't very long after that that the Holy Spirit uh, used some situations and some people in my life to begin to strip some of that pride away and begin to, to remind me of the depth of my own sinfulness and, and where my, my heart really was. And, and not only of pride, but many, many other areas as well. And church, that was not and is not a fun process to go through, to have God begin to pull the covers back and show you what really is going on in your heart. And, it, and it's ugly. It's, it's not pretty at all. But as I grew to understand the depth of my own sinfulness and pride, I was able probably for the first time in my life to grow in my understanding of the depth of God's love and his grace for me as well. Understanding 
how truly undeserving we are of what God has offered us can't do anything but help us desire to to be dispensers of the grace that we have received. It helps us desire to be more gracious with the shortcomings of other people. So if you happen to be in that group where you've walked with Jesus a long time, and yet you are not daily and even moment by moment aware of how truly undeserving you are of what Jesus has done for you, how full your spiritual diaper is and, and, and has been and probably still is, then I would invite you to do what King David did. Just simply ask the, the Lord to, uh, to search your heart and, and to help you see how, how desperately needy spiritually you have been and still are. Uh, I'm not suggesting that if you're in that place or when you get to that place that you're not authentically saved or anything like that. I'm suggesting that we can have a tendency to forget how very much desperately we are in need of God's forgiveness. Allow God to remind us of that. It, It makes us a more loving, a more gracious, a more patient person with the shortcomings of others, and quite honestly, even with our our own shortcomings as well. And finally, what it does is it helps us start to realign the priorities of our life, not around this earthly kingdom, but around the eternal kingdom. Church, I hope that whenever you and I have the privilege of seeing a helpless little child, it will be a great reminder to think about how spiritually needy and helpless we are. And yet Jesus, like he did to the little children, calls us to come and to be a part of his eternal kingdom. So on this Independence Day, redeclare your dependence on our loving and our gracious Heavenly Father. Let me have a word of prayer and then you will be dismissed to Uh, enjoy one another, and to start your afternoons. Let's pray together. Lord, as we did at the beginning of the service, we do again thank you for the freedoms that we have here in this country. Uh, Lord, it is not a perfect country, uh, but uh, it it provides us the opportunity to have the freedom to to worship you and to uh, share you with others And uh, it provides us a lot of freedoms and securities. And Lord, we don't want to take that for granted. We want to be good citizens, not only of the the United States, but we want to be good citizens of our own communities and and families. And uh, Lord, help us to desire to to make a difference in in this world for you. Help us to to shine a light uh, that points to you as others see the the difference in our lives. And Lord, we, we pray for our leaders. We pray especially for men and women who serve in, in positions of power that are, are followers of yours. We pray that you would protect them, that you would give them wisdom and encouragement. Uh, we, uh, we pray, Lord, that our country would uh, collectively come to a place of recognizing our, our sinfulness, Lord, and, and turn to you and desire uh, to move our country in a direction that would, would honor you. Father, I do pray if there would be anybody here this morning uh, that uh, feels that, that you're kind of tugging on their heart a little bit in terms of, of maybe surrendering for the very first time their life to you. 
accepting and receiving like a helpless child the, uh, the forgiveness that you offer them. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would continue to, to do that, that you would draw them and call them and um, use people and circumstances and songs and anything you want to do, Lord, uh, to help them make the decision to surrender their lives to you and to receive the grace and the, the forgiveness that you want to pour out onto them. And Lord, for, for those of us who have already received that grace and forgiveness, Lord, would you gently, but would you continue to, to uh, clearly remind us of the, the depth of, of love and grace that was willing to stoop down uh, from, from heaven uh, to, to pull us out of the spiritual gutter, so to speak, to offer us the forgiveness that we so desperately need. Lord, protect us from ourselves, protect us from arrogance, or in any way getting to a place where we feel that we des- deserve what you've done for us. And in fact, Lord, would you clearly help us see more clearly the, the depth of our sinfulness so that we might be more gracious and loving with others, that we might uh, feel and experience the depth of your love, that it would so transform our lives, Lord, that it would set our hearts ablaze, that it would help us to, to desire to, to reach more um, in, the, in our community for you. Lord, thanks for your goodness. Thanks for for many people having some extra time off this weekend. I pray that we would enjoy it, that you'd keep us safe, and that we'd honor you in the entire process. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.